0: Well, good morning, everybody. Um, And everybody, I'm glad to see everybody that's out here today. And if you're home at TV, watching on TV, I hope you're having a good morning, too. Now, my name, if you don't know me, my name is Bobby Lemons. And there's been just something on my mind for probably a year now. And I've just really been wanting to talk about it. But Tony said, you know, we didn't run away. Well, I ran as far as I could. (laughs) You know, because I don't like getting up here and talking as much. I, I'm really nervous about doing it. But anyway, what I want to talk about, and if you do know me, and you know that I'm like this, that I don't, really don't like getting up and talking, I'm not a chatterbox, but I just felt like God need, wanted me to come up here and talk. So what I want to talk about is the freedom, we have in, the freedom we have in God. And I don't mean the freedom like we normally think about. is like, you know, can Christians play cards? Can Christians dance? Can Christians do this? You know, eat meat, worship the idols. But I want to talk about the freedom we have to serve God and and the freedom we have for what Christ did for us. I'm trying to read my cards here, so (laughs) like I said, I'm really nervous about doing it. But anyway, I think a lot of times the reason we don't serve is because we don't believe the promises God has given us. And this is an example, you know, we, as a foundational thing as Christians, we believe that people will die and go to hell. I mean, we believe that. If most people, unless you're a universalist, you believe that. But our lives don't always play that out, you know. We always come up with excuses why we don't witness to people or whatever. And, and I'm not trying to beat anybody over the head or make you feel guilty, but what I'm saying is, like, I'm 50, I'll be 58 years old in a few weeks and I can only count maybe five times, and that's pushing it, that I've actually had someone come up to me and ask me do I know who Jesus is. And we live in the Bible Belt, and you would think that would be more often. So at 58, I averaged it out. Five, <laughs> that's one every 11 years. You know, and I just don't think our, our lives always work out the way we, what we believe. You know, we don't always live it like we say we believe. So again, that's just an example but I want to talk about the things we don't believe that God's done for us that we can serve him freely and not be worried about things as much as we do so I want to talk about how we've before I talk about the freedom we have I want to talk about how we've obtained this freedom and then talk about how maybe in our lives we could work it out and, and serve God better than we do so how we obtain this freedom is the work that Christ did on the cross. And it's a multifaceted event that took place when Jesus died on the cross that we, we can't quite comprehend all of it. But it's, it's like a mosaic or a puzzle. There's all these different elements to it. For example, there's the ex, expiation, the propitiation, the substitution, atonement. There's all these little pictures, but it's all one work. But the Bible breaks it down into little pieces specific ideal so we can understand it better now we can't just take one of these things and think that's the whole picture of Christ on the cross but it just helps us understand it all so we can see the whole big picture of what he did but the one i want to look at the element i want to look at today is found in mark chapter 10 verse 45 and what's taking place here is jesus tells his disciples he's going to go to jerusalem and die And two of the disciples asked to be on his right and his left, and he takes this opportunity to to teach them about serving. But what I really want to look at is this right here. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve, and give his life a ransom for many. And I want to look at this word ransom. In Greek, the root word for ransom comes from, it's luo, which means to release or set free. And latron is the word for ransom. And it means a price paid to release someone from prison or a penalty or indebtedness. And redeem comes from the same root word in Greek, which means to pay purchase or to buy something. When in the Old Testament, there were some redeeming laws, is what they were called, redeem laws, and there were different aspects to it. One of them was like if someone sold their land the closest male relative could come and buy the land back and redeem that land so they would have an inheritance. Then there was the law that if your brother was married and he died, that someone could marry his wife and have children to give them an inheritance. So that's what that was about. But the one that's closest related to this, what Jesus was talking about, was if a man was so far in debt that he could not pay his debts off, he would sell himself into slavery. And like Tony talked about a few weeks ago, it's not the same slavery as we think of. It's more of indentured servitude. But you're still under this person's authority. You're still under their. They tell you what to do. If they tell you go do something, you do it. You know there was no HR person you could run to and complain. No union. You were under their authority, and that's why the Bible says that we were before we were saved, before we were redeemed, that we were slaves to sin. So this is the picture that Jesus is trying to portray here is that the ransom he's talking about is buying someone from slavery for his own possession. And that's what Jesus is saying when he's talking about this ransom. And and the ransom is the same as we think about a lot is we think of kidnapping. When we think about ransom, we think about kidnapping. And the police, they look for a ransom note. That's what they usually look for, right? And the ransom note is a price that needs to be paid, and it's usually by the kidnapper. They set a price for the release of this hostage or for the prisoner. And then the person receiving this ransom note has to determine if this person is valuable enough to pay it. And that's what we always think of when we think of ransom note. Now, in church history, there was this thing called the ransom theory that Satan is the one, since Satan is the one that holds us captive and we're slaves to sin, that it was Satan that set this price and then Jesus paid the price and then Satan let us go but the truth is Satan was never offered the price because we didn't owe Satan anything it's God that's in control God is the one that's over everything so God's the one that set the price God is the one because we have injured God we are indebted to God we were born into sin and every time we sin we get further and further in debt so we can never pay the debt off and uh so the way the scenario is God sets the price for our redemption, but it's not only God sets the price, but he furnishes the price He sends his son. you know sometimes we hear people talk about Jesus, the loving Jesus, but the angry God, and they pit them against each other, not realizing it was God that sent the Son you know for Jesus for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son god it was. From all eternity, Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit agreed on how this would work. They agreed that this would be the way that redemption would be done. So not only did God set the price, God sent his son to pay the price, but Jesus paid the price. So Jesus had to die on the cross because the Bible says, for the wage of sin is death, and that's the only way it could be paid is Jesus dying on the cross. Now, it wasn't only just Jesus' death, which he had to do and he had to suffer. You know, we think about the nails in the hands and the crown of thorns and him being beaten and all the suffering he had to do physically. But when he was in the garden, he prayed, God, let this cut pass. Is there any other way? God said, no, that's the only way. And the angels ministered to him. But he went back and prayed again. And I think, you know, the sweats of blood... It wasn't so much he was worried about dying, which was a terrible thing, and he knew what he was going to have to endure, but he knew he was going to have to receive the wrath of God that we will never have to, if you've been born again, you'll never have to receive that wrath of God. And he knew that that's what it was going to be, that he was going to have to pay the price of our punishment. And that's why the sweats of blood, he knew the anguish that that was going to be. In his humanity, he was going to be separated from God and he had never been separated from God in his humanity. And then, so Jesus died and paid the price. And then Satan didn't just release us because the price was paid, but God rescued us. The Bible teaches that he breaks the chains. He He gets us and brings us out. All right, so Jesus rescues us. Jesus is the one that comes and breaks the chains for our indebtedness after his resurrection. And the only reason we were any value, you know, I said that you have to determine if we were valuable. The only reason we were valuable is not anything we did, but it was a gift to the Son. God's chosen people the gift of the Son, so it was God loved us, and Jesus loved us because we were a gift to him. And that's why he died on the cross for us. So what does that mean in our lives today, you know? What does that Help us understand how we should serve. Well, I I don't think we, again, we don't really believe the promises that God has given us. We don't really understand. I guess we hear it in our heads and we understand it, but we just don't get it in our hearts and our bloodstream to believe that that's what God did for us, that, that we're not worthy, but he is worthy, you know. Okay, so there's different ways I think people don't serve God like they should. And there's just three, that I'm sure there's plenty more. But there's three I'd like to look at. And one of them is they, they work for approval. They, they, you know, this is what got this whole thing started in my head. I was talking to a guy one time. He was just a truck driver, so I didn't get really talked to him much. But he was talking about he just doesn't feel like he's doing enough for God. You know, he does this in church. He does that. He's there every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time the door is open. But he just doesn't feel like he can do enough. And I think that's sometimes because we don't understand that we can't do enough. Christ paid the price. It's not us working our salvation out. We don't do things just to get approval from God. That's not why we work it out. And I think about people, I hear people talk about adoption, adopting kids. I've never adopted a kid, but I really don't know, but I hear that people have talked about it. when they adopt a kid, especially a little bit older kid that understands that they're not actually part of the family at the time, they finally come to the realization that they are part of the family, and they actually come to the parents and actually call them dad and mom, you know, how it makes the parents feel when they finally understand that they're part of this family. And that's what I think about when I think about these people that they just try to achieve some kind of a, a you know, from God that God's gonna love them more because they do things, you know. In Galatians four and five, and I think about this adoption thing, to redeem those who were under the law so that they were might receive adoption as sons. If you can just come to the realization that you are a son, that you are accepted as a as a family member, that you don't have to try to do things. You know, as as a younger sibling, I can understand that a little bit because if my brother, older brother, did something like jump off a diving board, and my parents were like, "Hey, hey," I'd "I'm going off the high diving board." You know, I would try to get more approval, and I can, so I can kind of understand that. So I think if we just, if somehow we can just get it in our hearts to believe that our standing is before God. Here's another in Romans five, eight, five, fifteen: For you are not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by where you can cry, Abba, Father. And that's one of the ways people reason, maybe they serve for the wrong reasons, is what I'm saying on that one. But there's another reason people don't serve, is because they don't feel like they're worthy. And again, that's because they don't really believe these promises that God's given us through his sacrifice on the cross. In Romans one seventeen. Martin Luther was doing a study on Romans and he came across this passage and it changed his life because he realized what the Bible was telling him. It says, For in it the righteousness of God were revealed from faith to faith as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. And when Martin Luther was first studying it, it was in Latin, which meant God made you righteous. But when he went back to the Greek, the original Greek, he realized it meant that God counts you as righteous and that you're regarded as righteous. You know, one of the Reformers, I don't know who it was, had a phrase that said, we are just and sinners at the same time. So if we can really believe this, that we are just in front of the side of God, that, that we wouldn't worry so much about trying to serve God, that we're not worthy. You know, you hear people say, just, I've done all these things in my past. I still sin. I just don't feel like I could do Sunday school or whatever. I just don't feel like I could serve God like I should, but if they could just get these promises in their hearts, that would help them serve more. I think, you know, and that's again that's why I'm trying to just encourage people to serve. That's what has been on my heart. And the third one is people are afraid to serve because they're afraid they're going to mess something up. You know, I think about William was working on his he was working like on a deck on his house, and he was worried about nailing nails in his roof. Then he looked at some YouTube videos, and he said, I can do it. So he started working on it. A couple weeks later, I said, how's the the roof going? He said, it came to a standstill when I had to start nailing my nails into my roof. And the reason it was because it was important to him. His house, he's got invested in his house, and he don't want to mess it up. And we feel like that way as Christians sometimes. We know how important it is, like, again, serving kids. You know kids need to learn about God, but you're afraid you're going to say something to mess it up, right? So sometimes we don't serve because we're just so afraid to mess things up. Now think about like the Isaiah house, the lady from the Isaiah house. I went to listen to her talk. And she thought there need to be a house for these kids to be took care of. But she's like, well, I can't do that. Somebody needs to do it, but I can't do it. And I don't know if she said this, this the way I took it. <laughs> she says, who am I to do this? And I thought of Moses, you know, at the burning bush. Who am I? And God said, it doesn't matter who you are, it's who I am. I'll be the one, you know. So she, you know she, so she took on that responsibility because she wanted to serve God the way she felt. And now there's five Isaiah houses and more are being built, you know. So I think about that. And then I think about my brother-in-law. He, you know, he thought there should be a, a place in between jail time and society. So he's, he made a, from drug rehab. So he's got a little farm. Y'all know what uh, Renovatus, if you know what Renovatus is. And he was the same way. He said, somebody needs to start something. And he felt like God was telling him what well, you need to do it. So he followed through with it just because he trusted God to do what God had said he would do. He would be with you always, you know. And then Elena, she she got into this Isaiah house. And uh, she's the expansion coordinator. I had a couple. Text her this morning, ask her what her title was, but she was the same way. She was like, "What? Am I? I've never done this before, but she did it anyway, right?" Because she followed through because she believed God's promises. And by the way, they're having a hot chocolate fundraiser on December fifth. <laughs> <laughs> we all need to support it to help her. Okay. <laughs> all right, and then I think about. You're not going to mess up God's plans, okay? God is sovereign. You're not going to throw a monkey wrench into his plans. He will take care of it. You know, I think of Joseph when uh, his brothers, he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Well, if you mean it for good, I believe God will take care of it, okay? If you feel like God is telling you to do something, do it. We might mess up. We might do it and it not work, but... You shouldn't be afraid to try. If God's telling you to try, follow through, you know. Just just trust God. Like I said, God's sovereign. He'll take care of it. You don't have to worry about you messing something up. Someone, well, <laughs> you know, like me getting up here talking today, the last time I talked, I was really, really nervous, of course. But I was telling some of the guys, right before I got up here, I thought about this one guy I used to know, used to tell me in a hundred years, who's going to know? So I thought the same thing about getting up here and talking. If I get up here and make a fool out of myself and you're all bored for 30 minutes, 20 minutes probably. <laughs> what's it matter in a hundred years? It don't matter. But if if it changes someone's life, if you do something because God's telling you to do it, changes someone's life so it could be generational. You know, if they if they were to get saved or Come to God, and then their grandkids, and you know their great grandkids. It could be generational. So just you know, I just encourage you to follow what God is telling you to do. Uh, there's a scripture in the Bible that says something about the gods of the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And sometimes we think of that as Satan will not tear down the church. But if you think about it, the gates of hell is a defensive mechanism. The gates are not an offensive mechanism. So what it's really saying is if the church would rise up and do what it's supposed to do, it would break through these strongholds. It would break these gates open and release people from their bondage where they're at. And like I said, I just wanted to try to encourage you all to to serve if God's trying to tell you to serve. I know it's not easy because I know it's not easy for me to get up here and talk. (laughs) So I'm just trying to encourage you to serve. And I'll let the band come up, and I'll just pray for us. Lord, I just want to thank you for what you did on the cross, God. And paying our penalty for us. And that we are our sons. We're adopted into your family. If we can just take these promises and act on them. Maybe we could change the world, you know. Like the disciples in the New Testament did. Thank you for what you've done for us, Lord.